1: For 40 years, U.S. News & World Report has released a ranking of the nation's top colleges, universities, and graduate schools. It's used in marketing materials for schools and is often highlighted in national media.
0: Florida colleges and universities are getting national recognition in a new ranking from U.S. News & World Report.
1: For
2: the first time ever, U.S. News & World Report ranked Florida Atlantic University in its list of top public schools in the nation.
3: The new 30th edition of Best Colleges was just released this morning, and we've got it. You're seeing the 2015 rankings first on CBS this morning. The Best Colleges list includes rankings of more than 1,400 schools throughout the country. But in recent
1: months, dozens of law schools and several medical schools and undergraduate colleges have stopped providing data to the publication. School leaders raise concerns about how the rankings are calculated and how schools can manipulate their data to improve their standing. After the break, we get into how important these rankings should be for prospective students. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
3: The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon.
4: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. Let's
1: get into the conversation and welcome our guests. Joining us to discuss now are two leaders of schools that have stopped cooperating with the U.S. News Ranking. Al Song Richardson is the president of Colorado College. It's a small liberal arts school in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Song, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Heather Gerken. She's the Saul and Lillian Goldman Professor of Law at Yale University and the Dean of Yale's Law School. Heather, we appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Song, your school has consistently ranked in the top 30 liberal arts colleges in the U.S. News and World Report rankings.
3: Why did you decide your school would no longer participate? Uh, well, at Colorado College, we believe it's time to do things differently in higher ed and to move away from antiquated ranking systems like US News that weigh criteria heavily which are antithetical to our values. So as an example, for instance, U.S. News continues to equate academic rigor and excellence with standardized test scores, despite strong evidence that these metrics are not only poor proxies for academic success, which is why we went test optional a few years ago, but also because these test scores are often better measures of wealth, such as attending a well resourced school, having access to tutors, and having the financial resources to retake these tests. So that's just one example of why we just don't think the US News rankings are in, in any way a measure of the value of the educational experiences we provide at Colorado College.
1: Now, Heather, Yale Law School decided in November of last year that it would no longer take part. What concerns do you have about the ranking systems? and how it's calculated.
2: Well, you know, the the Wall Street Journal did a terrific piece that showed that the US News ranking has flawed metrics, unreliable data. It hasn't have any expertise in legal education and its business model as one of the commentators noted is to be non-transparent, but at bottom what it really was was also about our values. One of the things that is most important about U.S. News is that it has caused a sea change in legal education, moving financial aid away from the students who need it. But because of U.S. News, law schools are in a terrible competition to try to get those students to come.
1: So colleges and universities across the country are facing enrollment declines, and Colorado is no exception. According to the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, undergraduate enrollment in Colorado colleges and universities dropped by 2.1 percent between the fall of 2021 and fall 2022 semesters. As we were researching this topic and looking into how the rankings are used by schools, at some point it became a marketing tool, right? So How are you replacing that? What are you saying instead of, this is how we're ranked on the U.S. News and World Report?
3: Uh, So what a great question. And what I'll say to that is we never used the U.S. News rankings as a marketing tool. So for us, um, again, because we think differently and because we do things differently, we have always marketed ourselves based on um, on our block plan, our differentiators, our doing difficult things, and our academic rigor. So for us, it won't be much different in terms of how we market ourselves. And Heather, for Yale,
1: was it easier to step away from the rankings because you were so highly ranked?
2: you know, we have never paid attention to the rankings not once and in fact many of our most important programs have if anything made it less likely that we would we would be ranked number 1 so in stepping away we did it for a very simple reason which was the devastating effect that us news has had on legal education this is not just about yale law school this is about the entire legal profession we are all gatekeepers to the profession and it's essential that we walk away from the rankings in order to open up a profession to all
1: now earlier you mentioned heather the rankings moving financial aid away from students who may actually need it. Can you explain that a bit more?
2: Sure. So the rankings, because they heavily overweight standardized scores and underweight financial aid, the rankings have created a race to the bottom that has put deans in a terrible situation. If they want to raise their ranking or keep their ranking, they end up giving scholarship out not based on need, but based on scores. As a result, during a five-year period, 79%, 79% of the law students who had financial aid were not getting it because they needed it. They were getting it because of their scores. That means that legal education is not open to everyone. Financial aid should be based on need and need alone. But because of U.S. news, we're unable. to law schools are unable to do the right thing.
1: And and was that seventy nine percent specific to Yale or was that across legal education?
2: I know it's across legal education. I should just say I'm proud to say that only Harvard and Yale law schools are the two remaining law schools in the entire country that give aid solely based on need. Just imagine that. And it is precisely because we are not afraid of the rankings that we don't guide ourselves by it. But the rankings put other deans in a terrible situation. And the result has been a severe undermining of financial aid and legal education at a moment. When economic opportunity is at the heart of conversations.
1: Now, any school that participates in the US News and World Report rankings are voluntarily providing data about their students and programs to the country. Song, what data were you providing to US News?
3: Uh, We were providing, we were answering their questionnaire. So, for instance, their questionnaire asks us questions about the GPA and uh, standardized test scores of our students. The 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 recent uh, rankings asks for the percentage of students with debt and the amount of that debt. And I just wanted to add something with regard to that, which is related to what Heather Gurkin just spoke about. That was a social mobility ranking that U.S. News put into place, and yet it created these incentives to admit students who were wealthy who would not have to take out any debt. And that is, once again, an incentive that is the antithesis of access, opportunity, and social mobility. So I'm curious to hear from each of you what you'd
1: say to law schools and colleges and universities that are still volunteering their data to U.S. News and World Reports. Heather, I'll come to you first.
2: Well, you know, Harvard and Yale recently had a conference on the future of data and legal education, and Secretary Cardona spoke at that conference, and I was really struck by what he says. He said, it is time for schools to stop worshiping at the false altar of U.S. News. He said, We, educational leaders, set the agenda, not a for-profit magazine. That's an important statement from the Secretary of Education, and I think it should be something that guides all of us.
1: And what about for you, Song? What would you say?
3: What I would say to all college leaders is we have spoken about for decades the fact that we have been worshipping at the altar of U.S. News and World Report, and now is the time to say no. Now is the time to be consistent with the values that we espouse and our actions. And so please, now is the time to stop participating with U.S. News and World Report. We've been
1: talking to Song Richardson. She's the president of Colorado College and Heather Gerken, dean of Yale Law School. Heather Song, we appreciate your time. Let's add another voice to the conversation. Joining us now is Eric Gertler, executive chairman and the chief executive officer of U.S. News and World Report. Let's go to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from one of you
3: i spent years as a college counselor at a major university and saw them manipulate where they fell in the rankings firsthand. U.S. news rankings are nonsense.
1: Eric, I'd like to get your response to the voicemail we just heard, that colleges and universities are intentionally manipulating their data to better perform in the rankings by U.S. News & World Report.
5: Let me start first by explaining why we do the rankings, because I, I think that's important. And as, as you know, uh, like NPR, we are an independent uh, journalistic uh, enterprise, and we have developed the rankings uh, to focus on the students, to help students make the best and most informed decision um, at a time when, as we all know, tuition costs are very high. Uh, it's a complex admission process. The admission process itself is quite opaque. Um, and this is a very stressful, anxiety-ridden process that these students go through. And so. Our rankings serve to help guide the students and to help uh, uh, empower them to compare schools uh, that would be right for them. And, and let me say that um, uh, by no means do we believe that our uh, rankings and uh, the journalism that we have that surrounds those rankings should be the sole resource when students Uh, make this important decision, they should do as much research as as possible.
1: But Eric, there have been several high-profile incidents of schools manipulating their data. There's Columbia University, uh, Temple University's business school, USC's school of education. So again, how do you respond to what we heard from that listener there, that colleges and universities are intentionally manipulating the self-reported data to get higher
5: rankings? Well, I think that that is a question that... um, uh, you know, is, is of great concern. Is, is, the question that you're implying is that we have leaders that are supposed to be inculcating the right values for the next generation of students um, and are not living up to the expectations that we want. And I think that those presidents and those deans need to look at themselves in the mirror and understand that if they're providing information that also needs to be provided to the federal government, the consequences of which can be quite severe, like at Temple University, um, I suspect and I'd like to believe that um, a high proportion, and again, these are these are very rare uh, circumstances, um, that they are providing accurate data, uh, knowing that uh, they have um, the responsibility of doing the right thing and providing the right data, not just to us, but the federal government and, and, and to others. So I think we can you know, really uh, showcase these, these few points. Uh, but, you know, we have a team of journalists that have been doing this uh, in the case of best colleges for 40 years and graduate school 30 years. These are experts in the field um, that are doing uh, an objective set of r- rankings uh, based on uh, important data that is made, uh, that, that we collect um, or that has been made public.
1: One of the things we learned through that reporting was that there were some inherent flaws in the system used to rank schools. And so I I hear you putting a lot of the responsibility on the administrators for decisions they made, um, maybe moving data around in such a way to make themselves look better. But where is the responsibility on U.S. News and World Reports part? Where is your responsibility to have a system that accurately ranks schools and can control, at least to some degree, for that data manipulation?
5: Well, you know, I think that um, we have been, you know, quite transparent. We uh, release all the weights of the data that uh, that we are evaluating. We spend a lot of time talking to third parties uh, and experts. Uh, We do a lot of journalism uh, around that, so um, I think that uh, you know our 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 team of expert journalists who have been doing this for forty years are doing what is a high level, important service to help students make the most important decision uh, for their educational choices. We heard from
1: two administrators from colleges or universities that have withdrawn from the rankings and. Part of what I heard them say was that this is this is about their values. Um, some of the concerns raised by these institutions include a uh, school's cost per student expenditure and debt per graduate. And critics argue these metrics incentivize schools to attract wealthier students. It puts aid in the hands of students who may not need them. It favors schools with larger endowments. How do you respond to those critiques?
5: So um, let's take our rankings for best colleges, for for example. And um, as as you know, uh, those re- those rankings have been refined over the years. Uh, you know, forty years ago when they started, there was far less data, um, and today there's seventeen different factors. And um, uh, you know, you know, contrary to what um, one of your guests was saying, you know, we have included social mobility rankings, which help uh, schools who are supporting students who need it. So we're not incentivizing schools to prevent aid. I, I just don't. I don't, accept I, don't that. That,
1: um, I don't think that, that she said it was to specifically prevent aid I think she was making the argument that it was an effect of the ranking system
5: look I, I mean you know as, as as I've said I've said publicly um, you know our rankings don't prevent the schools from doing anything they are in control of of you know their policies and practices what we're doing is reporting the data in a means by which those students who are making an important decision can, can and compare those schools. And you know, when you look at when you look at our rankings, uh, for example, on colleges, forty percent of the rankings are based on outcome data. And so the value, and you know, it's always hard to, you know, debate debate values. I mean, but the value that we're emphasizing is that when you go to school and you're paying huge sums of money. I mean, look, take. Colorado College. Um, it's 87th on, on their website. It's $87,000. Then there's health insurance. It's over $90,000 to attend school. Yale Law School um, is, about, is about the same. We're talking about an excessive amount of money. We want to make sure that the students are getting what they're expecting. And so we do measure graduation or retention rates, but we also measure social mobility um, indexes like Pell Grant graduates, graduating rate performance. So there's a lot of data in there, and I think you need to look at it as a sum of the parts. So, for example, um, I think one of your guests mentioned uh, the selectivity of the data. I mean, should should any of the measures of a student be used when measuring for school? We put 7% emphasis on that. That seems to be like a appropriate amount of, of weight. And well, by the way, we continue we continue to refine that that data.
1: Well, that's what that's what I'm curious about, Eric. In light of the the pushback you're receiving from some institutions and more schools withdrawing from the rankings, are you revisiting the way you approach this?
5: So, so first of all, um, the schools are withdrawing from providing data. They're not withdrawing from the rankings. U.S. News has the decision to do rankings, and we've announced publicly that we will do the rankings. So effectively. What the schools are doing is providing less data, which means less transparency for students to make the decision. Does but,
1: that then also mean less but, accuracy in the rankings?
5: No, I, I think uh, that that's that is um, not the case. We're as we've announced for graduate um, for the graduate rankings, which will be out um, in the next two weeks. Uh, we've announced that we're going to be using publicly available data and. Um, in talks with our, our team, talked to over 100 law school deans. And one of the things that uh, came out of those conversations was that outcome measurements were quite important. And so, you know, we will be emphasizing those outcome requirements, which seems to me, um, and to many that we've talked to, uh, makes a lot of sense. You're going to law school. You want to make sure that the outcome, the job, be it in the private sector or public interest, is something that you can expect to have when you graduate.
1: So, for so, now, the rankings will, the rankings process at, at least, will con- continue the way you've been doing it, just with less data being provided from schools that aren't participating any longer?
5: We will be using publicly available data and we're gonna continue as, um, you know, we've announced that we're gonna continue to do the rankings. We're gonna be using publicly available data and we will be adding additional sets of data as we continue over the over the years.
1: That's Eric Gertler. He's CEO of U.S. News and World Report. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And coming up after the break, we talk to the CEO of the National Association for College Admission Counseling about how young people are making this important decision right now. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Made in supplies chefs with high-end cookware because Made in makes exactly what demanding chefs look for. When you level up your cooking, remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're made in Maiden. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MaidenCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N-Cookware.com.
5: On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed... That among your enthusiasms, in addition to a macroeconomic policy, is mobile games.
3: Uh, there is some truth in that.
5: There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.
1: Now let's get back to our discussion about college rankings and how students can determine the best school for them. Well, let's bring in a new voice into the conversation. Joining us now is Melissa Korn. She's the higher education reporter for the Wall Street Journal. She broke the story last year that Yale Law School was leaving the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Melissa, thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: So why have the rankings from U.S. News and World Report been so important for graduate graduate schools and colleges and universities?
4: The A process of choosing a college or a graduate program is complicated and stressful and expensive. And there's some great appeal in having some third party come and say, this is the best school. This is the right one. Go down this path, right? It simplifies an otherwise overwhelming process. So rankings uh, provide a little bit of certainty, uh, a little bit of quantitative analysis, no matter what the, the methodology is, there's the sense, at least, that the rankings do those, uh, provides that service. Well, and in, in, in
1: your reporting, what did you learn about how colleges and universities are gaming their data to improve their rank?
4: There are so many ways that schools can game their data. So they uh, can choose, be a little bit more selective in who they're including in their fall student uh profile. So maybe they invite students with slightly weaker test scores and GPAs to start for the spring semester rather than fall semester. So those students don't count in their the rankings information that's provided to U.S. News & World Report. We've had some schools acknowledge uh, years of misreporting data on alumni donations, on research expenditures. Uh, as you mentioned Temple earlier in the show, the business school dean was sentenced to prison for uh, a fraud scheme that was tied to misreporting information in the rankings. There's also ways of for schools to try to Gain favor with their peers to get better scores on the reputation survey, which, depending on the ranking, can count for quite a bit of the overall score. Well, and, and the reputation
1: just, survey is that's where schools basically assess other schools' <laughs> reputation, regardless of whether or not they teach, they are having experience with that institution, correct?
4: Exactly. And the deans and presidents that I've spoken to for years have said, I don't feel qualified to. Say anything about these dozens and dozens of other schools. You know, I I know my peers, my direct peers, maybe I know the school I went to or used to teach at, but beyond that, it's uh, a little bit shot in the dark. And so there's these marketing campaigns by some schools to try to get noticed by the other, by their peers who are ranking them.
1: Well, Melissa, you were listening in on our conversation with Eric Gertler, CEO of U.S. News and World Report, and and I heard him, you know, really putting responsibility on these institutions to correctly report their data. After your investigation, what's your response to that position?
4: I Listen, it would be wonderful if everybody who was ever asked a question gave an accurate answer all the time. But uh, as a journalist, it's, you know, my job to verify all the information that I'm putting in an article. Uh, That is a heavy lift if you're talking about something with as many data points as uh, college rankings may have. But using a third-party public source Department of Education can help mitigate some of that potential concern. Uh, I don't think, knowing how high the stakes are, I don't think it's reasonable to expect that every university leader is going to always be honest.
1: How are schools working to minimize the impact of rankings in their admissions process? How have we seen that play out over the past 20 years or so?
4: So there are some ways, uh, some liberal arts colleges back in 2007 signed on and agreed to not post their rankings as part of their marketing materials and just say, you know, hey, we're a great school, not hey, we're the number seven school uh, in the Northeast region or something like that. Just kind of trying to differentiate themselves in other ways. But that's hard to do. So I think schools are still figuring out if they don't uh, post the rankings on their home page, on their website, if they don't use the little badge that they can license from U.S. News to declare that they're a best college, how else can they get that message across? And it's, it's a hard question. I think a lot of schools are still trying to figure out how they could answer that.
1: Well, rankings are just one part of the decision-making process for a prospective student. Millions of high school seniors will have to decide by May 1st where they're going to spend the next two to four years of their lives. What should they consider before choosing a college or university? We reached out to Bree Woods. She's a senior at DuPont Manual High School in Louisville, Kentucky. She took part in our Remaking America program last October about what's weighing on the minds of high schoolers.
4: I recently committed to Vanderbilt University, and I plan on studying secondary education. I chose to apply to Vandy primarily because they promised to cover 100% of my demonstrated financial need while offering an amazing education program. It's fifth in the nation. I come from a low-income background, so financial aid was really important for me. Ironically, I went into the college application process dead set on attending a state school. During high school, I had the mindset of, if I look like a quote-unquote Ivy League candidate to state schools, I will for sure get the financial aid I need to attend. It was only until the fall when people around me encouraged me to look at schools with high rankings. And we
1: want to mention the U.S. Department of Education's College Navigator website. This tool is also available for students interested in learning more facts and data about colleges and universities across the U.S. And let's bring a new voice into the conversation. Angel Perez is with us. He's the CEO of the National Association for College Admission Counseling. Angel, welcome to the program.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: We got this email from Emmy who says, As a parent of a high school senior from a middle-class family, I feel the rankings have made students and parents feel they are not good enough if they don't get into the schools that are really highly ranked. There is no rhyme or reason as to why some students are getting in and others are not. And Amy tweeted us, listening now as I work in higher education, curious to hear data on how many students actually pay attention to rankings when choosing a university or college. Angel, you've worked in higher education for more than 20 years. I mean, how how much are kids paying attention to this?
6: Yeah, I have to say that I think the majority of students probably don't pay a lot of attention to it. I think this is probably something more that parents are paying attention to. You know, you heard all of your guests earlier say higher education is expensive, the process is complicated, um, and oftentimes parents are trying to use that to figure out whether or not it's a good fit for their child.
1: What about international
6: students? international students, that is a huge area where U.S. News and World Report tends to be a tool that they use. I actually personally remember recruiting in places like China and India, and families would walk around the college fairs and basically look at where you sat in the rankings and decided whether or not to speak to you. It was really fascinating.
1: Melissa, we heard from Bree, she's going to start college this fall, about how finance has played an important part in her decision-making process. According to a report from the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce, the average cost of an undergraduate degree increased by 169% from 1980 to 2020. The average cost of college, including books, supplies, and living expenses, is now about $35,000 a year, according to Education Data Initiative. I mean, how much are finances driving that decision for parents and students?
4: Finances are a huge part of the discussion, uh, more so than I think we've seen in decades past. There's a lot of talk about the ROI, the return on investment. So families are looking at how big the investment is. The thing is, though, what they measure as being the return on that investment can vary, right? It can be a high-paying job. It could be admission to medical school. It could be uh, admission to Teach for America or It can vary depending on the family. So just saying this is what a successful outcome is, there's probably not just one for everybody.
1: Mm. And what about that cost gap between public and private schools and in-state tuition? How does that come into play?
4: So uh, there is a big misunderstanding, I think, uh, among the public about how much college costs and what the sticker price is, what the published tuition rate is, versus what the net price, the actual cost is. And uh, especially at well-resourced private universities, the net price could end up being lower than it is for in-state students at some public schools. Uh, It really pays to kind of dig into those numbers and go beyond just the, the sticker price for tuition and fees and room and board. Because depending on the school, the actual cost can vary greatly. Let's go back to our voicemail box.
2: So I actually work as a college counselor at a nonprofit.
1: I'm breaking it down for them to look at three key things, and that's academic fit, financial fit, and social-emotional fit. What are their majors? What are their programs? Do they have professors really making an impact in their field? Thinking about social-emotional fit, right? Will I be able to make friends there? Are there clubs there? What does the diversity look like?
2: But financial fit often doesn't come into the picture until April when they get their financial aid award letters. And they have to make really hard decisions, oftentimes without understanding the
1: big financial picture. Thanks for that message. Angel, how do those priorities the school counselor just laid out, academics, social-emotional fit, and finances, differ for a parent compared to a student?
6: Yeah, I love that clip because it's exactly the way that I advise families. And I would say that they differ based on where the family is and where their priorities are. I would say that for most students I work with, social fit tends to be at the top of the list. And actually, that's important and we shouldn't um, ignore it because all of the research actually shows that the students who tend to retain the most at colleges and universities are the ones that find a sense of belonging. And so social fit is really important. Academic fit, obviously important because they are going to school to study. Um, But I would say more and more financial fit is actually becoming number one. College is so expensive. It's very confusing even how you award financial aid. And so having that conversation earlier instead of April is critical for families.
1: Well, in 2016, researchers from the National Bureau of Economic Research found students receiving financial aid in the form of grants perform better academically than those receiving loans. How can student debt impact a student's performance in school.
6: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think a big part of it has a lot to do with the anxiety that families are facing and students are facing and the worries of not knowing exactly what they're going to pay, especially because most people don't realize that financial aid changes every single year.
1: We got this email from Brian, who says, For our senior choosing between four public universities in Florida and a few well-respected private schools on the East Coast, we use the U.S. News & World Report, College Simply, Niche, Instagram, and our school college counselors, and we will continue to rely on all of these services and their ever-adapting processes. Melissa, we've been talking about U.S. News & World Report, but how many other tools are there out there for families?
4: So, first of all, there are a lot of publications that do rankings, um, and full disclosure, the Wall Street Journal is among them. I'm not involved in them, but they they exist. Uh, there are, besides the kind of third-party publications, you have a ton of information available on the U.S. Department of Education website. It's not always the easiest thing to navigate, but the College Scorecard provides a lot of information about debt loads, outcomes, uh, early career earnings for not just entire schools, but individual uh, academic programs within those schools. So you can really drill down and see what the potential return is for particular particular programs rather than just kind of getting an average across schools. Uh, There's also um, the common data set, which again, not always the most user-friendly, but if you Just search online for school name and college data set. Any who participate, you can come up pretty quickly. And it has an immense amount of information about financial aid, about outcomes, graduation rates for different populations, class sizes, pretty much everything a prospective student may want to know.
1: Mm -hmm. Angel, as as I'm hearing Melissa describe this this tool set, I'm thinking about young people whose parents may not have a lot of time available or first-generation college students whose families just may not know how to access all of these these tools. It sounds like a tool set that if you have college experience in your family or you come from a certain degree of wealth, this is more accessible to you. Am I hearing that correctly? Has that been your experience?
6: It has been my experience. And there's a lot of organizations that are actually trying to support. I would actually say my organization, if you are a any student or family out there, going onto our website, there is a button for students, and they can actually go on. One of the things I would suggest is going on and registering for one of our college fairs. They are free to students, and we actually have a matchmaking process where students talk a little bit about the kinds of things they're interested in and the Technology actually suggests other institutions that might be good for you. So it's a good place to start. But yes, the process can be very overwhelming, especially if you haven't been to college or have family members who have had that experience.
1: Angel, how is the admissions process and the competition students face different for transfer students compared to those coming in as a first-year student?
6: I think it depends on the institution, obviously. But one of the things to think deeply about is the fact that oftentimes for transfer students, especially if you're not moving from a community college to a four-year institution, if you're moving within four-year institutions, there's very little financial aid actually offered for transfer students. However, I do want to point out um, that the community college two-year to four-year process is a wonderful place f- to start, especially if students aren't exactly sure what they might want to actually study or if they have significant concerns about finances.
1: Melissa, how, how is this transfer system connected to the college ranking system?
4: so, uh the college rankings, when they look at who the incoming class is, the new first year class, they look at those who are coming you know as first time students to the school, so they generally don't include transfer students, which p- potentially could incentivize schools to uh, defer admission for certain students, saying, "You know, "Hey, go somewhere else for a year, then you can join us. We don't want your numbers dragging down our our averages or our medians." Uh, but we still want you to come eventually. So the transfer students are kind of sit outside some of the, the data collection pools. And it, it's pretty convenient for schools, right? They still get the students to come, but they don't have to drag down any, any numbers that the rankings may consider.
1: Melissa, what do college rankings fail to capture in their data that students should consider when picking a school?
4: there, there's a lot, right? How do you measure, I was talking about this a little bit before, but how do you measure the quality of an education? Is it by who gets high paying jobs, who goes into finance and consulting? Is it who goes and changes the world and works for nonprofits and they might not earn as much money, but they're, you know, have a huge impact on their community. Those sorts of things aren't easily quantifiable or comparable. Uh, Putting a bunch of schools with who are, that are very different in profile uh, up, pitting them up against one another, it doesn't necessarily tell you that much. If you're comparing, uh, you know, a, a major research university in one part of the country to a much smaller university that has graduate programs but mostly focuses on undergraduate teaching, it's you'll lose a little bit of that nuance when you try to boil this all down to numbers. That's something that I've heard. College presidents, program deans talk about for a very long time that it's just, it's complicated, it's nuanced, and a ranking can't capture all of that.
1: So Angel, what advice do you give to families when they're trying to make this decision and they look at the rankings, they say, well, these are the top three schools, how do you tell them to to weigh that information?
6: Yeah, I actually go back to that social fit, that academic fit, and that financial fit. And a piece that I would add to what Melissa was saying is that what you can't measure through the rankings is belonging and whether or not you're going to enjoy the culture on the college campus, whether or not you're going to have friends there, whether or not you're going to care about the issues that the students care about. And so, oftentimes, I talk about making sure that you, if you can, visit a campus. But these days, with all of the resources available online, um, I love that someone mentioned Instagram. Actually, following the clubs and organizations social media pages on campuses. Great way to learn about what students actually care about. But again, that social fit I would put to the top, particularly to ensure that the student not just enrolls, but stays and graduates.
1: Are there changes you'd like to see to this ranking system that you think could make the process more transparent for families and, and perhaps more equitable?
6: I probably have a more controversial opinion about that. I would love to see rankings go away, and I I think a lot of that is because it has not done any favors to higher education for all of the reasons we've discussed today. I would love for there to be a different way for students and families to learn about that social fit, that financial fit. There's a lot of places to get the data, actually, that U.S. News & World Report actually releases in less friendly formats like iPads and things like that. But I would actually love to see us create a system in the United States where students actually have more access to different kinds of information about colleges and universities, not just what's in the rankings.
1: So, Melissa, briefly, U.S. News & World Report, they plan to continue these rankings. What do you think the future of college rankings looks like?
4: I think they will continue the rankings. Rankings aren't going to go away uh, as much as some might like them to disappear. But there could be more... Uh, varied rankings with different metrics that could, could pop up and be very valuable.
1: That's Melissa Korn. She's a higher education reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Also with me, Angel Perez. He's the CEO of the National Association for College Admission Counseling. Melissa, Angel, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Chris Remington. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR.
0: This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.